Jeff Lieberman was a very interesting director. He was a guy who kind of came out of nowhere. He started working uh, with Janus Films, the uh, people behind the Criterion Collection. You know, in the 60s and the 70s, he he worked with Janus Film, you know, working on uh, cutting together compilations of uh, uh, classic um, uh, movies and stuff. Ba- you know, basically working from the Janus Collection's catalog of their classic films with Bergman and, and art house European films and and making documentaries and things out of that. And after that, he burst forward with a series of directorial efforts, which are very interesting films. They're they're horror movies. Uh, I I don't think I can't think he he's made a film that's really outside of horror and sci-fi. All horror movies, but they have a certain artistry to them that elevate them to another level, and they have elements of of, of satire and. An originality of concept, which again just kind of puts them ahead of the bunch. I mean, like his first film, Squirm, which is a, a, a backwoods film about basically killer uh, worms, you know, uh, electrified worms that grow to a gigantic mass and uh, they threaten uh, uh, the backwoods, uh, the little uh, town. Uh, southern town in the middle of nowhere, you know. But he takes that and he weaves it into this strange southern gothic story with this, uh, you know, this young girl, her boyfriend who's from, uh, you know, uh, a city boy who comes in and he gets caught up in it and then there's a a big, uh, you know, country bumpkin who's attached to her and and there's all these original scenes of of the... the worms and the you know coming you know you know you know just just literally flooding like literally like like metric tons of these worms that are like flooding the town and f- and flooding in to this uh, literally you know like flooding like strangling people with their uh, with, with the the the, uh, the amount of them they're just coming out of the ground and they they come and they fill the uh, this uh, country house, like, and then the country bumpkin, like, gets infected with the worms and goes crazy. And I, it's just a wild concept, you know, full of very colorful characters and colorful uh, language. And just, again, told, with this artistry and energy, early uh, special effects by Rick Baker as well. And then he makes uh, another film. He makes Just Before Dawn, which is a a, uh, a backwoods slasher film about uh, some uh, campers being terrorized by these unseen murder murderers or murder murderer singular plural this force in the woods that's coming after them. And again, it's it's a very simple concept which is elevated by uh, the artistry of it, as well as some great early performances by some young actors like Chris Lemon and, and George Kennedy, and some really, it's, it's really one of the scariest backwoods slasher films uh, you, you could ever see. And then uh, that leads us to uh, the film we're going to be talking about, which is Blue Sunshine, which is kind of a, a late 70s version of... Uh, a drug scare film like Reefer Madness. 
Uh, it's definitely a, a unique and interesting film, which again, like all of his other films, is uh, a story which is rendered with such an artistry and uh, such uh, an intelligence that it makes this kind of very, what could be a very straight, you know, AIP bottom barrel genre film into something uh, a little more higher and something a little more longer lasting. 1967. Doctors and scientists predicted it. Blue sunshine. Did you ever hear the words blue sunshine back in school? Jerry didn't do this. Like this. Sick. One man must solve the mystery. The victims. Wendy Fleming. Divorcee. Wendy. Blue Sunshine. John O'Malley. Lieutenant Los Angeles Police Department. Blue Sunshine. Franny Scott, I found photographer. In hey, wait a minute. Blue sunshine. <laughs> Wayne Mulligan, campaign manager. Blue sunshine. <laughs> Dr. David Bloom. Kelly. Resident surgeon. Give me a sponge. I said a long instrument! 1977. The nightmare has begun. Blue sunshine. Sunshine stars the uh, the late Zalman King uh, as uh, a Zipkin, a, <laughs> a this kind of neurotic, jittery uh, young man who uh, goes to a party uh, one night in a cabin and gets involved with in, in, a, in a murder. He becomes a murder suspect. Uh, and we follow him uh, as he's being chased by a police detective who's trying to uncover what's going on, as Zipkin himself tries to uncover what's going on, and it leads him into uh, you know, a very uh, tangled web of uh, a series of other murders which seem to be somehow related to a, a drug, Blue Sunshine, which is a form of acid which uh, was... Uh, sold uh, in, a, in a very specific uh, uh, school at a certain specific period of time, and it seems like 
everyone who's taken the blue sunshine, uh, like, uh, you know, about 10 years later is having flashbacks and going crazy and, and turning into a, a homicidal maniac. And it also appears that the, the main person who was the, the main drug pusher of Blue Sunshine is now uh, a very powerful political figure. <laughs> he has uh, ascended into the halls of power and, and doesn't quite uh, want his past to come out. So Zipkin is, again, racing against the, the clock to clear his name and to uncover the mystery uh, of Blue Sunshine, and, and it's quite a you know an action film with some uh, you know some strange elements to it, um, and, you know some sa- some you know s- satire uh, satirical elements to it. A very much a late seventies uh, film of his period. Uh, the clothes, the fashions, uh, the the ending uh, disco rampage scene where one of the uh, the the crazed. Uh, Blue Sunshine uh, uh, people uh, rip through and basically destroy a a disco club. Uh, some people have seen that as a commentary <laughs> on the uh, the, the uh, on disco. Uh, but uh, you know, according to Lieberman, it was not not necessarily in, intentional. According to him, disco uh, was just at that point explo- just exploding uh, as he uh, as he made the film. Uh, Great film, uh, great great acting by all of the the uh, the principal actors. Of, of course, um, you know Zalman King. He's like this crazed mix of Marjo Gortner uh, and um, Sean Penn. You know, he's like the love child of Marjo Gortner and Sean Penn. He has this this. Uh, this way that he acted, he acted, he, he did the same thing in like, he did the same personality in like Some Call It Loving and like other films he did. He was primarily a television actor. Like, he, I think he was in The Doctors. He was in like a kind of a daytime soap or wasn't it like a nighttime soap? I don't, I've never seen that at all. I've never seen any of Zalman's 70s television work at all. It's before my time. But apparently that's where he became big and then he branched down into these independent films and then you know, late in the, into the eighties, he branched out into uh, softcore, uh, you know, fil- theatrical work, and then in the nineties, uh, Showtime and the Red Shoe Diaries, and probably made his fortune out of that. Very, very sadly, died uh, just a few years ago. Uh, died in the, uh, uh, I think it was two thousand twelve, two thousand eleven. That was a very, very, very sad situation, but. In any case, you know he will his 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 work is immortalized here as the the Zipkin. Uh, all of the people that surround him are, are in this film are, are great. Uh, the the film, as I said, very well shot. Had a great soundtrack by Charles Gross. Soundtrack, by the way, that was recently re released on vinyl. Uh, it was released as an LP by uh, Mondo Records, the uh, the offshoot of Alamo Draft House here. And Jeff Lieberman came down to the Draft House and actually showed a 35 millimeter print of uh, of Blue Sunshine here. Uh, and it was a record release party. It was a party for the release of there was the album they released. They had the same Jay Shaw artwork on a, a VHS release of the film, as well as a poster. So all three of those, the vinyl, the uh, VHS, and the poster had this new cover art by Jay Shaw. It was a very 
interesting blue artwork of all these doors opening and then one per and then a, 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 all these doors and then there's one door open and a blue sunshine person is out there you know so i'm going to go ahead and shut up here and play uh the full q and a with jeff lieberman and i hope you all enjoy it watch it old man <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, I've never been to Austin. Uh, I was in Texas once, in Dallas, and I remember everybody had guns. Anybody here packing? No? It's just a Dallas thing? Uh, anyway, who's seen this movie? Okay. Now, more importantly, who's done acid? <laughs> Well, um, if you can imagine, uh, you know, this movie was done in 1977, so if you're in a theater back in 1977, disco was just, just the beginning of disco. It was right before Saturday Night Fever, which disco, you know, exploded. Um, the costumes, everything, like... What I'm trying to say is I wasn't trying to do a period 70s movie. It was the 70s, right? So if you can imagine watching this movie and it's the 70s outside, like Superfly and Shaft and all of that stuff, the beginning of cocaine and all. And um, uh, I, I had no idea that it would be so, uh, what's the word? Pathetic? Pathetic? You tell me, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna decide on that. It's predicting the future in a certain way. So, uh, anyway, enjoy the film. This is 35 millimeter, uh, which is the way it was originally intended. Not the greatest, you know, print, but it's still at the idea. And then we'll do the Q&A after Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I should, uh, I should warn you guys, um, uh, uh, Jeff doesn't... Uh, you don't, you don't tolerate uh, assholes and stupid questions, all right? So when you want to ask some questions at the end, make sure they're good, because we're, I don't think either one of us are going to answer or allow any questions. No, ask some questions. If you write stuff down, there's plenty of questions involving this movie, so we look forward to having a, a, a scintillating discourse after the film. Exactly. All right, thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the one and only Mr. Jeff Lieberman. Hello. All right, so uh, my first question for you is, um, it's probably not all that terribly important, but I want to know every last detail about the puppet show and what puppet shows sort of a regular part of political campaigns of the 1970s. Uh... No. Uh, the puppet show came about because I had a friend who was a, a puppet, wannabe puppeteer. And he would always come to my house and have Barbra Streisand and all these puppets. Um, so I, like, was stupid. It was like, hey, why not have my friend Steve bring me out to California? That, that's how lame it was. I had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> Is this your friend Steve? Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, well, I, we should also, before I forget about it, we should talk a little bit about the soundtrack. It's part of uh, uh, part of the show tonight, obviously, is uh, celebrating the release of the soundtrack for the album on uh, 108 Grand Vinyl. So tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, your relationship with the composer and uh, everything to do with the soundtrack. Projection, you can you dim the lights about uh, halfway down, maybe so Jeff can do whatever the fuck he's doing right now. <laughs> Is there a way to bring the, the house lights halfway down? Right, there we go. Almost, maybe down a little more. This is totally not going to work. <laughs> I, think we're talking about, I think we were talking about the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, the soundtrack. Um, I had no idea what, um, you know, what do you, what do, you do with, a, with a subject like this? And you don't want to do, like, spot on, like, there was movies like The Trip, you know, you don't want, like, psychedelic and heavy. Well, they didn't call it heavy metal, but, you know, psychedelic, Jimi Hendrix type of write-on stuff. I said, okay, not going to do that. Just like I didn't try to portray in the movie what it's like. Did you ever see the movie The Trip with Dennis, uh, with uh, Peter Fonda, where they try to emulate what a real LSD trip looks like? It's so corny, you know, distortions and all this shit. So I said, okay, I'm not going to do that, so I'm not going to do that in the soundtrack. So all I did was think of all the things that I'm not going to do. I had no idea what it was going to be. So when I got Charlie Gross, I told him all the things not to do. But I had no clue what to do. But that's a creative, that's a creative process that I use with writing. I say, like, when I come up with an idea, I take a sheet of paper and say, make a list of all the things that have been done already and eliminate What's left? What's left is a fresh idea. Sounds easy, right? So, so uh, with Charlie, I said, do that. And it took like two weeks. I didn't hear anything. I got really nervous. And then he says, come over to the apartment. I want to show you something. He goes on the piano. He's looking at me. I sit down. And he just puts his hand out on the baby grand piano. He goes, bum. Bum, 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 bum. I went, whoa. And then he goes, bum, bum, goes up the scale and he goes, bum, bum. I said, so that's going to be the entire score and you're going to bring in orchestra, blow it up, but that's basically the thing. He says, yeah, I go, boom, done. And I never talked to him again until he did the whole, he got the London Philharmonic, went to London, London Philharmonic came back with that score. And then I get to take a bow, genius. <laughs> No, I mean, he was great. Well, how about the, uh, just the, the origin of the film uh, it, itself? I mean, was there anything in particular that inspired this movie? And, and I guess also part B to that film. Can you talk any bit about your own personal experience with psychedelic drugs? Yeah, well, I, I, was, I did, I asked him, but it was legal. It was not illegal. I could have said to a cop, see this? Ask him. 
and it became illegal about a year after I started doing it. Uh, I didn't do it that much, because I liked mescaline better. Uh, but it wasn't so much about me doing this, it was that the government was, you know, all these um, public service things that they would say, you know, uh, LSD changing causes genetic damage, and LSD are linked letters, daughter jumped off the roof. You know, you hear, they're trying to dissuade the young people of the 60s from taking this drug. So, just like the radiation scare in the, uh, in the 50s, I don't know if you guys know that there was a thing called the Cold War, so um, our government would tell you, you know, it's going to be an atomic bomb and you've got to hide under your desk and have a duck drill. And they go, duck! So you're going to go under a wooden desk as a hundred megaton bomb drops on New York and turns you to glass. You know? But they, and they said, build a bomb shelter and the same kind of scare. I said, ah! They're doing it again. And all the geniuses in Hollywood uh, in the 50s said, the public is so afraid of radiation. Let's do radiation movies. Because they're already afraid of it. So I said, they're afraid of LSD. What if, what if it's true? I did the same exact thing as the radiation movies with LSD. Instead of saying it's full of shit, they were. It's funnier to say, what if they're right? <laughs> oh, and the, and the idea that you can get genetic damage to yourself. You know, like when I first got the idea, I said, okay, if, you had, if I took LSD and it does genetic damage, it could be my offspring, right? So it was 1977, I'd have to have the movie take place in the future, like 20 years, 30 years later, when they had children, the baby boomers had children. So I said, I don't want to do a futuristic movie. Guess what the future's like? So I called up my brother, who was um, an intern. That, no, he was a resident. He's a doctor. And I said, could you get genetic damage and manifest in you 10 years later, instead of like your offspring, and something happens to you? And he said, is this for a movie? And I said, yeah. And he says, do I get a credit? I said, yeah. He goes, it's possible. So if you look at the end of the movie, it says, medical consultant, Gary Lieberman, MD, on the credits. <laughs> Strange but true. Well, I'll go ahead and take a few questions out from the audience. Anybody got any questions for, for Mr. Lieberman about uh, uh, this film, any, any other films, LSD, his experiences in the 1970s, or uh, mall discos? Any of these things are all fair, fair game. Come on right here. Uh, what was the deal with the, uh, the gun, like safety, the drop it down, don't make it? What, where did that come from? Yeah, that, that guy, that guy was awesome. Yeah, you know what happened? We went into a gun shop. I don't know anything about guns. So they needed a salmon, and, and uh, so we're, so that guy um, worked in a gun store. I mean, he was a real guy, he wasn't an actor. And I said, teach him how to do this. But once he started to teach him, it was so different than what I wrote. I said, make up a little ditty that he could remember. Because otherwise he's not going to remember how to use this gun. And that's what he did. 
to hold the baby with both. We, that was not in the script. It was right there. We made up this little ditty that he could repeat later on. That's it. So was that, sorry, was the, the guy in the gun shop, um, was that the actual guy in the gun shop? Yeah. yeah. That's the actual guy. You just bought a, went to a gun shop and found a guy that was charismatic this morning. Yeah. That's good. No, I wasn't charismatic. I made him charismatic. Yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well, uh, since we're talking about uh, um, minor characters in the film, I'm sort of fixated on the, on the parrot. Um, <laughs> you know how hard it was to find a parrot that would say blue sunshine? <laughs> how do you think that was done? Anybody? Your voice. Blue sunshine. <laughs> so easy. <laughs> Hello, Johnny. <laughs> Do you get a credit? Do you get a credit for Voice of Parrot? You know, here's another thing about the, the sound. Um, the kids, you know, they go, stop it, Wendy, you're scaring me, and all that. You know, everything the kids, Dr. Pepper, all that. Those kids came in with their parents. You know, you can't have the little kids without their parents there. Their mothers were there. And um, I said, let's get the, you know, shoot everything but the um, thing with the knife. Do that last. We do the thing with the knife, and they take out this knife that looks like a kid's pirate. You know, so fake. You know, like a dull plastic crap. I said, this is ridiculous. Get a real knife. They said, we can't do that. I said, do it. And I said, you better, I said to the DP, you better get this. He's like, I got a film, you can only get it one take. So I swore to he swore to me. I mean, if it was my kids, you know, they, he swore, rubber knife, he showed them the rubber knife. All of a sudden, she comes out with that thing, chases them out of the room. These women swept in, grabbed the kids, ran out the door. Gone. So I said, but we haven't dubbed the voice, you know, we didn't even hear the voices. It's hard to get them to act, so you do that later on. They just stand there and say, stop it, women, 16 times. Went back to New York. That's my daughter. Doing all the, she's winning. <laughs> Anything from the movie? Got a question here on the end. What was up with a doctor uh, repeating long instruments all the time? Did he put you up to that? <laughs> That's, uh, you, you're actually a doctor. So how about, how about the medical accuracy? That's funny, that you, you know, because I said to Tim, ask me that question. Oh, is that right? Yeah, here's what happened. We go in the operating room, and there were no doctors, right? It was a real operating room, but there was nobody around. No nurses, no doctors, no nothing. We had all this stuff. I called my brother, the medical consultant. <laughs> and I said... We got all this stuff. This is before you can do like a FaceTime, you know, so you can't see it. So he says, I'm not a surgeon, I'm a pediatrician. He says, but there's two things that I remember from medical school. There's a Kelly and a long instrument. So I said, Bobby Walden. I go, I go, Kelly and long instrument. He goes, which one's a Kelly? I said, I don't know. I said, but I guess the long instrument is long. Right? That's why. Because I didn't know what else to tell you. I want to be the medical consultant on your next film. You got it. Another question for the crowd? Right here. Did the audience get that you were sort of thinking 
No. No, you know, it always annoys me that audiences so, not everybody, but just, uh, they, uh, they take things at face value when they don't see that, you know, maybe I'm not that stupid and there's more to it than meets the eye. So it took a long time, now they get it. It took, you know, 30 something years. Uh, the first thing that happened that was fun was, uh, that was 77 it was done. And around 79, somebody told me, hey, at CBGB's, you know, in the, um, in the village, um, they're playing your movie on the, you know, they had TV, they didn't have flat screens, they had TVs on I said, why would they be doing that? So I went down and actually that was the only time I saw the Ramones, because they were playing, and it was just a disco scene. Over and over, that whole disco scene, and throwing the people in. And I found out, I asked him, like, why? Of all things, why are you playing this? He goes, yeah, because Jeff Liebman knows that disco sucks. <laughs> so that's right, he, he's really looked into this whole thing about the punk. He really is a punk. But that was a completely not. I mean, and, and that was the very beginning of the disco thing, and it doesn't occur to me. It's like, if I was saying disco sucks, I'm saying that any loud music, like Dr. Perfect, can make these people freak out. It could be Lawrence Welk turned up really loud. <laughs> I took credit for that, too. Well, you made a conscious choice exactly. to end up with Big Daddy, so... Exactly. Yeah, Big <laughs> Any more questions for everybody? Got one right here. I just remember seeing this a long time ago and was really struck by how eerie it was, but I definitely also remember like the visual style of it. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about either your influences or what, what brought you to shoot it. Yeah, you know, I was going through my like uh, trying to amalgamation of all the filmmakers that I uh, admired, like Stanley Kubrick, Brian De Palma was my like god, you know. So the use of the camera melding the use of the camera into what you see in Norman, just like this gestalt of everything. Uh, that was the film that I really uh, consciously did that. And I didn't have a really good lighting DP. He just did what I told him. Um, so it could have been actually even better. But the big thing, uh, if you know anything about film, I decided, because I knew that Clockwork Orange, I read that they used the, the biggest lens in like 24 millimeters. It's pretty wide. And, and if you come in close, you come in close just before the point of distortion. And that's why this thing has a certain look, because I use a 24 all the time, instead of like 35s and 50 mil, even when I did close-ups. So that, that added up. I used to uh, catch this on late night TV when I was a yes. little kid. I always loved it, and I was always baffled. How, how little? Oh, shoot. This, I mean, I'm old, but... Uh, I'm older. I Yeah, that seems perfect. Go ahead. I always expected the congressman to have some mind control agenda going on, or at least that he would turn. And so I just... Why? What do you mean turn? Like, turn, like... Like turn into one of the crazy acid 
is a dealer. Yeah, good dealers never, never meet. This first rule of dealing is never meet. Anybody knows that. Right? <laughs> thing was that thing at the, at the end where it says how many doses is still out there? Bang, it was in the New York Post as fact. And I said, from now on, I'm going to read the newspapers. Like, if that, they don't say this is a thing in a fictional movie. They say uh, that, this, you know, the DEA is looking into it and it's all these drugs. It's like, holy. Anybody go back at you? What? Go back to me? Yeah, I mean, it was in the news. It was in the newspaper, yeah. Oh, yeah, then if they interviewed me, of course I ran with it. I said, absolutely. It's a true story. Why would I say no? I made it up. True story. I'm sticking to it. So, uh, when you guys were putting the uh, soundtrack together, yeah. uh, how easy was it to come up with the materials? Do you still have everything archived? And, you know, what was the process for getting out of that? Well, the, uh, the actually, um, we did, you know, the negative of this movie was lost. And that's why it took so long for the audiences to do it. When, like 10, 12 years, this didn't play on TV anywhere because, uh, you know, one-inch tape was not good enough for television, couldn't make a digital file because the negative was lost. But we always had all the sound ingredients. So that's the reason why, and all the separation. So we remixed it, and that's, uh, I mean, you couldn't do a record album if you don't have the sound separate. You stuff. So uh, I'm anxious to hear, I'm buying a turntable, I don't have one. <laughs> I have two albums. I have uh, the Stone Sticky Fingers and the Zipper Still Works, and I have a Polonius Monk that was never open, and that's it. I got rid of one of my albums. You, have, you now have three albums. No, I have three. <laughs> that's right. Let's go. Any more questions? All right, well, uh, we're going to be out in the lobby. We've got, uh, we've got soundtracks, VHS tapes. I think Jeff has also brought some DVDs. I have, if you have never seen Remote Control with Kevin Dillon and uh, Jennifer Tilly, it's a film I made in 1987. And that I did myself to uh, make a, a new Blu-ray, and I remastered the whole thing and did it a limited thousand copies, and then that's it, because I just did it to archive the movie. So there's... A couple of hundred left. So, so I have a yeah. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us here in Austin. Thank you guys. So there it is, Jeff Lieberman. Uh, Blue Sunshine, a great film. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and seek out the uh, the Synapse Films DVD release. They had a uh, a, uh, a a special edition DVD released many years ago, almost a decade ago, I believe. Uh, Blue Sunshine, or over a decade. Blue Sunshine, a beautiful cover with the soundtrack, a soundtrack CD inside. I believe that's still in print. the The ultimate prize would be a uh, uh, a a, uh, a Blu-ray release, a new high definition Blu-ray release, and who knows that may be coming. May not be, but in any case, uh, the the DVD is is a great uh, is is a great bargain. 
And uh, also it shows up on cable very frequently. Frequently it shows up in TCM Underground, the TCM cable channel. Also, it was, very, it was recently re-released on, uh, on DVD by, I believe, Hen's Tooth Video. They released it with a new cover and, and all this stuff. Uh, and then also Elvira released it with her bumpers. She because it showed on Movie Macabre, the Elvira tel- creature feature show in the in the uh, in the eighties, and they actually released it, re-released it on DVD as well. It's a double feature with the other uh, Elvira show uh, on it, and uh, I have that release actually. It looks like to be pretty almost the same video transfer as the uh, Synapse. But it's it's cut up, and you know, go go with the Synapse release. It's still out there. I think it's still available for semi reasonable prices. So that's the one to go with, and uh, you're gonna love it. It's a great film. <laughs> 